0: Hacktivists turn to defacement. They say they're performing a public service. Recorded Future takes a close look at ransomware's likely course in 2017. ISIS exposes itself online. Attribution controversies, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And would you hug Skynet if it looked like Teddy Ruxpin? I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, January 4th, 2017. In separate incidents, Hack Read is reporting that hacktivists hit both Philippine military sites and the Google Brazil domain. In both cases, their declared intention was to warn people about the need for better security. In the Philippines, someone with the handle Shinobi Haxor told the army it was pwned by me and warned, fix your security or I will be back. In the Brazilian case, one Coroche gave both a shout out to his friend Shinobi and a sneer in the direction of rival NoFox as he kept a defaced page up on Google Brazil for about half an hour. Coroche told HackRead that Google Brazil was defaced to show the world everything can be hacked and we should not underestimate our security risks. So, okay. Although one thinks the point might be better made without inconveniencing users and subjecting them to a picture of two anime teens in all their large-eyed glory. One might, for example, consult some recent reports on threat trends. Recorded Future published an interesting one a few hours ago dealing with ransomware and what we should expect from it in 2017. Their conclusions stand in contrast to predictions McAfee Labs made in November to the effect that ransomware had peaked and might be expected to decline in 2017, which on the face of it isn't an irrational prediction given falling criminal profits and more widespread understanding of how to prevent and recover from ransomware attacks. But Recorded Futures' report suggests that ransomware will continue to grow in the current year. They offer several predictions that are worth reviewing. First... Ransomware will become just another tool in the hacker utility belt. It will be useful for distracting defenders from more serious attacks, as we've seen DDoS used. So large criminal organizations will use it for both profit and misdirection. A Carbonite study of ransomware reaches a similar conclusion about this sort of attacks utility as a smokescreen and distraction. Second, we'll see more attacks designed to publicly shame the victims. The public shame is designed to force quick payment of ransom. Third, we can expect ransomware to become stealthier. More examples of ransomware using no executable as a means of evading detection. Fourth, ransomware spam campaigns will target the security of webmail providers. Webmail is complex and offers an attractive attack surface. Ransomware can be expected to follow the same path here as other spam attacks. Fifth, a contrarian prediction, there will not be any ransomware IoT campaigns. It's too easy, the researchers think, to wipe or replace IoT devices, and so there's less incentive to pay. Related to the last is the sixth prediction. Similarly, there will not be a Mirai-style botnet installing ransomware. Finally, if there is a decline in ransomware, it will be because of law enforcement action. So support your local police, and if you're in the U.S., get to know your regional FBI office. The Daily Beast has an account of how Islamist exploitation of social media and other online platforms for information operations has proven a proverbial double-edged sword. It's been undeniably successful for recruiting and inspiration, but it's also been risky for the caliphate's information operators. Many leaders have been targeted when their phone chatter exposed their location, and ISIS dependence on the internet for its own version of command and control has enabled the civilized world to collect a great deal of actionable intelligence about the terrorist group. Unfortunately, effective inspiration needs only a few receptive minds, or what FBI Director Comey characterized as a few screwed-up individuals, to inflict the suffering and sorrow recently visited on Berlin, Baghdad, and Istanbul. The first week of 2017 continues to see skeptical takes on various attributions. The conclusions being called into question range from the debunked, like the hacking of the Vermont power grid, through the newly controversial, like the Russian malware-enabled counterfire against Ukrainian guns, to the generally accepted, like Russian intrusion into U.S. political party networks. Krebs on Security has a particularly good roundup of the grid hack that wasn't, with a reflective account of how the story gained currency. Thai Global's Jeffrey Carr calls Buncom on CrowdStrike's Danger Close report on Android ex-agent targeting of artillery positions. He promises more details at the upcoming Suits and Spooks conference. In the meantime, Security Week says that CrowdStrike stands by its report. It's an interesting and complex case. We hope to learn more about it in the near future. And many observers continue to express disappointment over the level of detailed evidence contained in the FBI-NCCIC joint analysis report on Fancy Bear's election hacking. Many of those same observers also note the difficulty of making such a case without disclosing more about sources and methods than the intelligence community would find it prudent to reveal. One overarching lesson to be drawn, perhaps, from these various attribution controversies, is that it's rare that any threat actor is in sole possession of the attack code they use. The Neutrino Exploit Kit, for example, may well have figured in Fancy Bear's bag of tools, but it's in a whole lot of other bags of tools as well. And finally, there's a fresh horror out there in the Internet of Things. Sean Gallagher writes in Ars Technica about a proof of concept for a grim connected toy he developed. As he put it, quote, "I had an idea to connect a speech-driven AI and the Internet of Things to an animatronic bear, all the better to stare into the lifeless, occasionally blinking eyes of the singularity itself with." End quote. So, he took a 1999 edition of the Teddy Ruxpin animatronic bear, equipped it with a Raspberry Pi and enslaved the unholy monster to Amazon Alexa with predictably disturbing results. As one commenter on the r/site put it, quote, a huggable skynet on every kid's pillow. Oh, that's so sweet. End quote. But that's not the freshest hell, friends. It was left to Gallagher's competitor, Brian Kane, of the Rhode Island School of Design, to penetrate the real heart of darkness. Kane connected Alexa to Billy the Talking Big Mouth Bass, a man cave artifact whose morbid tackiness rises almost to grandeur. The horror. The horror. Joining me once again is Malek Ben-Salem. She's the R&D manager with security at Accenture Labs. Uh, Malek, you wanted to talk today about deep learning for cybersecurity.
1: Yeah, so there has been a lot of talk uh, about deep learning and its use for cybersecurity lately and whether it's a suitable approach uh, for the cybersecurity domain. Uh, Well, as you know, deep learning is an area of artificial intelligence which deals with vast quantities of data. It's not new, some people say deep learning is just a buzzword uh, or a rebranding of neural networks. And that's uh, to an extent true, uh, but while neural networks are not, have been out there for a long time, uh, they have been used in a very limited way. Uh, they've been used uh, with only one layer, one internal layer of neurons. Uh, What we're able to do today with the new developments in technology, with uh, the abundance of data and um, multiple GPUs available, uh, we're able to revisit that and implement neural networks with several input layers, uh, and that's what constitutes deep learning. And uh, the approach, meaning deep learning, has been successfully applied in various domains such as uh, computer vision and uh, voice recognition, so it has some potential uh, in cybersecurity.
0: My understanding of deep learning is that um, you know the systems themselves, rather than, than um, you know telling the systems what to do, the, you rely on the system to kind of you know figure out what to do on its own, um, and so that can lead to novel approaches to problems.
1: Exactly. So uh, one of the promises of deep learning is that uh, it replaces uh, the manual selection of features uh, with efficient algorithms for unsupervised learning so that you don't have to tell the algorithm what are the right features to model, um, but it should be able to learn on its own uh, what are the right features. It can extract them uh, autonomously. And also the other uh, difference that deep learning brings is a way of uh, hierarchical feature extraction, which is not the case for the existing machine learning algorithms.
0: Uh, And dig into that for me a little bit. What do you mean by hierarchical feature extraction?
1: So, for example, uh, let's think about uh, computer vision. Um, the, The way people recognize the contents or understand what's in a picture is complex, right? We first recognize an overall shape, the the shape of the main object within the picture, and then we may then recognize certain details within that picture to be able to tell exactly what that picture uh, entails. That's what deep learning does, is it, it mimics that same way of recognition, Mm. So like, it may recognize the, the main object and then it may recognize the edges of that object. then it may recognize later on certain p- specific features within within the object. So it's very similar to the way the human mind
0: works as well. So how do we apply deep learning to cybersecurity?
1: So uh, it has been actually applied already in, in certain um, uh, problems for cybersecurity. It has been implemented by Semantic, for example. Another uh, smaller startup cybersecurity company na- by the name of Deep Instinct is also um, implementing deep learning to recognize uh, malicious files. Uh, it's being currently tested for uh, network intrusion detection and detection of deep uh, DDoS attacks, um, but results at this point, um, you know, are promising, but uh, are similar to existing uh, machine learning algorithms. The point is, with deep learning, is that it requires a lot of data. So wherever we have a lot of data, that's where it shines. And another um, promising application for it could be for with spam filtering and uh, spear phishing. So I expect that it will be applied successfully to solve that problem as well.
0: Malek Ben Salem, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security, And that's the CyberWire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmaza's here, your host over at T-minus Space Daily, and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans too. Thanks so much for your input as we reach
1: for the stars. It means the universe to us.
0: And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past,